Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you. Thanks for being here this morning. What a great morning to be together. And let me let you know a little secret of why they actually came to visit. Because Malachi's favorite holiday is Halloween. That's why they're here. Because he just wants to trick or treat with his cousins. So, but it's really good to have them in and have them visiting. And um, they've really been doing this very thing. They've been living on a prayer uh, as we've been living on a prayer here at Grace Crossing Church. So if you're newer to Grace Crossing Church and you're just kind of dropping in this morning, we're in a series walking together through the Lord's Prayer. And we're actually joining Jesus in his prayer because the disciples come and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And teach us how to do what you do. Because they watched him do it so organically. They were so inspired by how naturally Jesus prayed. And so they come to Jesus as beginners, is what they do. They say, we want to we learn over. We want to relearn this thing called prayer. And I shared early in this series that prayer is all of the ways by which we communicate and commune with God. So it's all of the various ways that we communicate and commune with God. What they were really asking for was, Jesus, teach us to commune with God like you do, because you do it so well. And so in this series, we're looking at the kaleidoscopic nature of prayer. Uh, Jesus actually presents prayer as a multifaceted uh, reality that we can live in, not just learn, not just recite, not just know, or memorize, but we can actually live our lives through this prayer and on this prayer. And so Jesus presents these unique aspects of prayer. He, he first of all, presents prayer as relationship, our Father. That it's all about relationship. Everything in the Lord's Prayer flows from that. He then presents prayer as worship, hallowed be your name. He presents prayer to us as invitation, your kingdom come. When we pray that, we are inviting God's kingdom to actually be front and center in our lives and here on the earth. He actually presents prayer as surrender. He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then last weekend, we talked about two, prayer as provision, give us this day our daily bread, and prayer as forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And I hope you got how profound that is. Because Jesus actually teaches us there that when we come to him in prayer, we should come in the posture of having already done what we're asking him to do for us. Forgive us as we have also already forgiven. Now this morning, we come to another way that Jesus presents prayer to us. And and as I've come into this series of living on a prayer, the one thing that I came and asked the Lord for was, was... to show us the mysteries that are in the Lord's Prayer. You know, the Bible says Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven being like a treasure chest and being mysterious, that there are multi-layers to God's kingdom. So when you come to the Lord's Prayer, it's not just the words you read on the surface. It's what God is underneath those words that you're trying to get us to. And this morning, this one's very profound. It's a tough one for us. We're going to talk today about prayer as spiritual warfare. This is a tougher one for many of us that are sitting here this morning. Prayer as spiritual warfare. Here's how Jesus tells us to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. 
lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That word in the Greek, temptation, is actually a word that can be translated in multiple ways. It has multiple meanings in Scripture. At some places, the word is translated as testing. Other places, it's translated as trials. And the only way that you can actually know what word is being used and why it's being used is you need to look at it in its context. In this particular case, what Jesus does is he attaches the word temptation to the word evil. So there's no two ways about it. Jesus here is not talking about testing alone. He's not simply talking about trials. He literally is talking about temptations. Now, there are several things I want to frame this morning before we dive into this topic of temptation. Because I think we need to frame it theologically to understand what it is that that God here is trying to reveal to us and what Jesus is trying to teach. There's really one big thing that I want you to get out of this morning's message. One big idea that I'm going to drive home and hopefully build a compelling case for in this morning's talk. And it's this. Temptation is not about you, and temptation is not about me. Temptation isn't about us. It's about God in us. That's what temptation is really all about. That's the mystery that I think God wants us to see and why Jesus told us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So let me make several theological assumptions this morning that I think that our audience here will mainly agree with and understand, at least in a broad sense. Here's the first one. I'm going to assume this morning that if there is evil, then there is also good. So if, if, if we're coming to this idea and Jesus here is teaching about evil, then we also know there's a, another side, a counterpart to this. You cannot have light without darkness. You cannot have hot without cold. So where there is evil, there is also good. Here's the second assumption. It is safe for us to assume that evil has a source. And its source is altogether evil. Equally, good has a source. And its source is altogether good. And the third assumption that I think we can make is that evil has a source who has a name. The Bible names the source of evil Satan. And good equally has a source that is altogether good, whom the Bible names God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, a couple of scriptures to help us understand this this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Peter, who knows something about Satan's strategies, who we'll talk about in just a moment, says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Question for you this morning, who is the someone that the enemy's after? 
what our tendency is, is to think temptation's about me. That he's after me. If we begin to think of temptation as something where it's all about us, we are missing the primary point of temptation. Satan is after something. He's after someone. And I would suggest to us this morning that Satan is after the life of God. And he's going to do everything he can to destroy whatever and wherever he finds the life of God. Now James chapter 1 goes on to teach us this about temptation. When tempted, and we all are, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. Why? Because God is altogether good. That's who God is. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, if we allow it to, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, if we do not deal with it, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. According to this scripture, temptation is not what drags us away and entices us. It's evil desire that drags us away. It's when our desires are not aligned with God's desires that all of a sudden we find ourselves slipping into a place of finding ourselves being tempted by the enemy. Now, there's a really profound illustration of this in the New Testament. It's actually an odd conversation that Jesus has with one of his disciples. Let me set it up for you. One day Jesus comes to his disciples and he has a question for them. Tell me, who do people say I am? And they start spouting off. Well, some say you're John the Baptist or you're one of the prophets. And we believe that you're an important person. But he looks and says, I want to know who you say I am. And Peter, who was never shy, steps forward and Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, wow, you got it. You finally got it. Heaven has revealed to you who I am. Now, because you know who I am, Jesus then goes on to say, here's what's going to happen to me as the Messiah. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be falsely accused. I'm going to actually be rejected. And ultimately, I'm going to be killed. And listen to what happens. Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. Verse 32 and 33, he, Jesus, was stating the matter plainly. So he's telling them what's going to happen. He's saying it to them. And listen to what happens. Peter took him, Jesus, aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he, Jesus, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Now the question is, what is happening in this exchange? Jesus has just told them about God's plan. And Peter responds and he says, listen, that's not the way that I thought it was going to happen. So he comes to Jesus 
And can you imagine? He pulls Jesus aside and he begins to lay into him, confronting him, rebuking him. It's a strong, stern word that is used for someone in authority over another. He is absolutely letting him have it. Can you imagine? The Son of God. The Son of God. And here's what Peter's saying. In essence, this is what Peter's saying. Jesus, I got a different way. I got a better way. I got another way. It's my way. Another gospel tells us, he says to Jesus, I'll never let this happen to you. I'm never going to let this happen to you. And Jesus looks at Peter and he acknowledges several things when he responds to Peter. First of all, he acknowledges this. Peter had his mind on building his kingdom, not God's. He was not thinking about God's kingdom in this moment. He's thinking about his own kingdom. If I'm going to come into power in this new kingdom of God and Jesus is the Messiah, then i got to follow him and he's got to stay on earth. The other thing that Jesus is really saying to Peter is this. Peter, you actually are more concerned with your will being done than my will being done. What Peter's doing here is he is exercising and expressing stubborn willfulness. And stubborn willfulness is the exact opposite of trusting God. Peter's looking at him and saying, I got a different way to do this. I don't really like your way. But the question becomes in the narrative, why does Jesus respond to Peter with the rebuke that he does? Why does he say, get behind me, Satan? And then he says, you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Is he saying, Peter, you're demon-possessed right now? Nope. What Jesus is doing here is pretty fascinating. He's actually talking and having a conversation with two individuals simultaneously. On one hand, he's looking at Peter and saying, Peter, I'm rebuking you. But on another hand, he's looking right past Peter to what is inciting him, what is inspiring him. Listen, Peter was a fully devoted Christ follower. He had sold everything to follow Jesus. This was not about his love for God. But it was about him being influenced. And I think it's one of the best ways that you and I can understand temptation. Temptation is influence. Actually, temptation is evil influence. Intended to move our minds off of God's interests and onto our own. There is always an intended purpose when it comes to temptation. And the primary purpose of it is to get our minds off of the things that God is interested in and place them on the things that we are most interested in. And whenever the enemy is working in our lives to cause our minds to think in those terms, we are being influenced and we are finding ourselves being tempted. Now, if there's evil and there's good, and if there's a source of evil and a source of good, then there's also a counterpart of temptation. 
And according to Scripture, the counterpart is what God has given to us. It's eternal life. Eternal life is not a place you're going. Eternal life is an influence that comes from God's presence that causes us to move our minds off of our interests onto God's interests. We all of a sudden stop thinking about what am I most concerned with, protecting myself, protecting my reputation, getting my way, but rather we trust in God. We begin to say, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm thinking about the things that matter most to your kingdom, not the things that matter most to mine. Those two influences, temptation and eternal life, are always flowing toward us. They're always affecting us and impacting us. In fact, every one of us in this auditorium are prone to being tempted. That's actually what 1 Corinthians teaches, chapter 10. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Let me hit the pause button there. I have met in my years of pastoring so many people who are ashamed of their temptation. They're embarrassed to admit that they are tempted. They want to hide it. They want to cover it. They want to ignore it. They want to minimize it, but the last thing they'll do in the world is come out and say, I'm being tempted in this way. But you know what the scripture teaches here? The scripture teaches the pressure's off. I'm no different from you, and you're no different from me. All of us face the same sort of temptations, and it's common to all of us. So if it's common, then we've got to normalize the way that we come around one another when it comes to this area of temptation to not make it such a big deal and to say, you know what, we are all tempted in various ways and we're no different in that. But here's what the Bible goes on to say. God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This verse is not about mankind's temptation. This verse is about God's faithfulness. It is about the fact that you and I will never enter into a temptation that God has not already resourced us to deal with. We will never face a temptation that God has not already made a way of escape. What is that way? It's called eternal life. That's how it happens. Leaning into God's provision, trusting him for what he's already done. Paul can write this because he knew about temptation. He knew all about Jesus' temptation. In fact, the Bible and Luke's gospel, chapter 4, tell us about the Son of God, Jesus himself, who faced these temptations. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Listen, it was this experience that gave Jesus the language for the prayer for his disciples. It was the fact that Jesus actually had experienced this. He knew what it was like to be led into temptation. He also knew what it was like to experience deliverance from the evil one. 
And so because Jesus identifies with it, he can look at us and say, listen, it is very possible for you to love God. It's even possible for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be fully led by the Holy Spirit and still be influenced by the enemy. He can still show up. He can still try to get your mind off the things that matter most to God. Let me tell you, Satan's number one priority, his number one priority with Jesus was to keep him from being spirit-led. It was to destroy the very presence and life of God that was evident in Jesus. He had an, a, a mission. He had a purpose. And actually, we read this scripture, and sometimes we think the enemy just drops in, and he gives a few temptations, and then he exits. That's not what the scripture teaches. It actually suggests that for 40 days, he endured different, various types of temptations. We read three of them. But that's not an exhaustive list of every temptation Jesus would have faced. I think there is an identification that Jesus has. In fact, in verses 12 and 13 of Luke chapter 4, it goes on to say, When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Satan is the ultimate opportunist. We read in the Gospels that he left in that moment, but he didn't leave forever. He kept coming back in different ways to try to influence Jesus' mind and actually try to snuff out the light of God and silence the voice of God that was being expressed here on the earth. When you and I come to faith in Jesus, we are elevated into a realm of temptation that Jesus himself faced. We begin to experience temptation in a way like Jesus did. You see, I don't believe temptation is about us. I don't think it's about what we're experiencing. I think it's more about what the life of God is doing and what the life of God wants to do in us. I don't think we are tempted so that we sin. I think we are tempted so that we lose connection with the life of God. I don't think Satan tempts us so that we'll do wrong. I think he tempts us so that he can make us lose the very thing that God deposited in us when we came to faith in Christ. If he can destroy the life of God in us, Satan is doing exactly what he has done from the beginning of time. From the very first temptation in the, in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 when he said, did God say, all the way to Jesus on the cross, did God say that you're supposed to be here? Is God really behind this? There's a goal. There's an intention. There's a purpose. Temptation isn't about us. It's really about the life of God in us that the enemy wants to destroy. And he will do everything in his power to get our minds to shift off of the interests of God and over to our interests. So what's the remedy? I would suggest to you the remedy is what Jesus offers to us. He doesn't just offer us the way of escape. He doesn't just give us the, the sense of assurance that we'll never be led into a place that is beyond what he's already made us capable of. 
But Jesus does something more significant. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Do you know one of the goals of temptation is to get us to stop professing our faith? To stop claiming that we are God's sons and God's daughters? To actually begin to believe he doesn't love us anymore because we're tempted? To get us to think differently about ourselves than what God says about us? We hold fast, firmly, to the faith we possess, possess, profess. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But notice what it says. But one, we have one who has been tempted in every way. Isn't that encouraging? In every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us therefore, let us then, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. What is this invitation Jesus is giving us? It's the invitation to pray. How do we approach the throne? We approach the throne through prayer. What gives us confidence? It's that Jesus has invited us. He said, listen, you're coming in my name. I've already been there. I've done it. I've got the T-shirt to show for it. You will never face a temptation. I, don't, I get your weaknesses. And listen, you're going to receive mercy and you're going to discover grace both at the same time as you come before me in prayer. Listen, we have a weapon that God has given us for spiritual battle. And the single greatest weapon we have in spiritual battle is prayer. That is the greatest weapon that God has placed in our arsenal. And I don't think we recognize how significant it is when we come to God in prayer for our temptations. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 tells us that though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. In other words, you're not going to fight temptation through your own energy, your own ingenuity, your own creativity, your own resources. You won't do it. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Notice where the battlefield lies. It's in our mind. It's in our thoughts. The enemy's goal and temptation is to get us to shift our focus off of God's interests and onto our own. Become self-absorbed in ourselves. Getting what we want, the way we want it. And listen, I get Peter. I identify with him. And a lot of you do as well. Because we've given God a piece of our mind on more than one occasion, right? We have felt things. We have felt that, listen, we don't like the way God's doing it. We don't like the timing with which God is doing it. We wish God would do it differently. We want control. We all do. And I identify with that. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through the pulling down of our mental strongholds that tell us we're in control and God isn't. That tell us we know what's best and God doesn't. 
that tell us we can trust our own ways, but not his, that tell us that we will always do what's right for us, but we're not sure God can be trusted. Ephesians tells us about this warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now notice, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That person does not tempt you. What that person did is not the reason you did it, what you did, right? That's not what it's about. It's not about people. There is an influence behind every temptation that is not human. It's got a source. And it says that this source is, is, is about rulers and authorities, powers of this dark world against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. And verse 18 tells us how to do that as it finishes this passage. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions when you're tempted and when you're not. Pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of God's people, which is why Jesus said, pray, let us, lead us not into temptation. When we pray this prayer, we are not just praying it for us. We're praying it for each other. I need you to pray for me, not to be led into temptation, to be delivered from evil. You need me to pray for you. Do not lead them into temptation, but deliver them from the evil one. We are in this thing together as God's family, Why? Because we all share the same temptations. They may manifest themselves a little unique in our lives, a little differently. They might have a little slight difference, but the reality is the source is all the same. So prayer becomes the greatest weapon that we have to do spiritual warfare. Let me close by saying this, because I think this is important. When you come to faith in Jesus, the very life of God is born in you. That's what it means that you get the nature of God. His life is born in you. And just like we need to feed our physical life, we also have to nourish the life of God in us. But you do not nourish the life of God through food. We nourish the life of God through prayer. That's what nourishes God's life in us. Prayer is the thing that actually allows the life of God to continue to grow healthy and strong inside of us. And here's the question for us this morning. Are we nourishing God's life in us or are we starving God's life in us? Because there's no in-between. We are either nourishing the life of God or we're starving the life of God and temptation is all about destroying and disconnecting us from the life of God in us. And when we see it for what it is, we all of a sudden see it's not about us. It's really not about us. It's about what God wants to do here on the earth through us. And so this morning, I want to challenge us 
to see the Lord's Prayer as the way in which we nourish God's very life in us. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.